0: Visit iConnections.io. Hit your money goals without switching platforms.
1: Download SoFi's all-in-one super app for industry-leading APY. Great loan rates and stock trading. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank, N A N M L S 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities LLC, member Finra, SIPC. welcome to the monday edition of on the tape i'm dan nathan joined by guy adami and liz young is back guy that would be ey from sofi she is the head market strategist at
0: sofi where you can do what guy you can get your money right all in one app and i gotta tell you something (laughs) what what's what do they say when you pine for something you pine away for something that's what i've been doing it's been it's been too long without ey from sofi gracing the on the tape podcast, the market call, all the different properties. Welcome back, Elizabeth.
2: Thank you. It has been a long time. It feels like it's been a month. I think it's been a, a week and a half. A Week and a half. Are you
0: feeling a little refreshed?
2: I feel refreshed. You know, it's nice to get a completely away. Yeah. Unplug. Did
1: you unplug? I did. Markets altogether. I did.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. But you were eh. reading your your facts. Well, you still get the alerts. Yeah. But you unplug enough that now I'm back and I'm excited to be back and. Guy, have you done that
1: this summer? I did it in July for like probably six or seven market days. It, It was actually great. Sometimes it gives you like a fresh perspective on the market. Some of those preconceived ideas about whether it be single stories or the broad macro themes or whatever. Sometimes they dissipate
0: a little bit, Guy. I haven't unplugged since the fall of nineteen sixty-nine. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> Matt I that,
1: am. That is a matter of fact. Listen, we have a huge week. It's it is that some say the doldrums of summer, late summer trading, all that what? sort of stuff. But there's a ton going on here. There's a ton of earnings. We have a bunch of data this week. We have Jackson Hole, where the Fed peeps are going to be out there. Fed Chair Powell speaking then Friday afternoon. So we got a lot to go over. a Preview for this week, but we're also doing a lot on those aforementioned risk reversal media properties. Liz is back with us on market call on Thursday. Of course, we're gonna have Butters from Fact Set, but tomorrow on Market Call, we have Carter Braxton where the are worth charting. We have Doug Cass. We quote Doug a lot. He writes over at real money. Guy and I have known Doug years and years, and he gives us a lot of great stuff for that. So Doug's gonna be on market call on Wednesday. And then we also have Tony Dwyer of Canaccord, which we all love and respect. Tony, and that's gonna be on our on the tape drop. I have Katie Stanton of Moxie Ventures. She's going to be on OK Computer this week, so we got a lot to go. It's a big week. It's a big. That's week. It's a real big week. We like to talk, Liz, around here. I we do don't notice that here. Oh,
0: but here's what I would say. Wait a second, Elizabeth's back. Yeah. Did she even comment on the new desks? This, this. I did. Is you a were. Street?
2: If you were here, you would have been I'm able not. to greet me in person. Guys in his skiff. He looks like he's in some kind of bunker. I love the new desk. Totally different setup. I feel like a real professional. Well,
1: you are real. You are. We're here to tell you that you are a real professional. All right. Let's get into this because over the weekend, if you were plugged in, which we have been, it seemed like every major headline on every major financial publication, and even in things like the New York Times, it seems like, guy, this China story is bubbling up a little bit. We've been talking about it, I I guess, for weeks because I I guess in the universe, in, in our media diet a little bit, it's always worked as well. Well, in there. Now, a lot of folks would tell you that if you're – and we had a great conversation with Peter Buchvar of Bleakley Advisors on Friday's On the Tape podcast guy, and he seemed much less worried about what's going on with China. We had a good back and forth with him on that. But if you just look at some of these headlines, this is in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, China's 40-year boom is over. Uh, what comes next was the question. This is in Bloomberg yesterday. China's uh, surprise move to loan rates shows banks under pressure. Another one. Run it cold. Why Xi Jinping is letting China's economy flail. Guy, talk to me about this because, and we definitely want to get Liz's take here because you were unplugged for the last week or so. Is this you know something that U.S. investors should be worried about because I think last week's title of the Monday pod was China Sneeze is the world gets a cold, we know it's been this huge growth engine, but everything there seems to be going the opposite way, at least in the no landing crowd for US economy, US market folks.
0: Should US investors be watching it? Absolutely. And people say, why? I don't have any investments in China or the ETFs that represent China or any of the ADRs. And that might in fact be true, but the reality is what happens there is going to have impact here without question. And one of the things we've been talking about, and I was at an event last night and I ran into a guy that I've known for years. He's a managing director at Citi and he's an FX guy. And he was talking about his don't underestimate the importance of the weakness of the yuan. And he was looking at the CNH and I don't want to make people's eyes glaze over, but that's the yuan against the Hong Kong dollar. And that's making, I think, all time lows. And we're at levels in the yuan against the US dollar we probably last saw in the summer of 2015. And that's important for a myriad of different reasons, not least of which the impact it has on broader markets. And you saw what happened in summer of 15 into the fall. I think you're going to see similar now. Just one more layer. Again, don't discount what's going on with Japan and the weakness in their currency and the unstableness of their bond market. Something else you have to keep in mind. So easy to say, you know what? I don't own Chinese stocks. I shouldn't be worried about it. The reality is whether you own it or not, you should be worried. Liz, does this for us,
1: and it's great to have you back, obviously. But we almost feel like we've had this conversation now for Mondays in a row. You know what I mean? And it almost sounds redundant. And a lot of folks would tell you because we know that there's some very well-established like long-term bears on China, and they've been saying the same thing for 10 years. And it hasn't imploded yet. And you can say the same thing right now, maybe week over week to us. And we have been talking about this for months, not just weeks. Or you can say it for those who've been really skeptical for years. But to Guy's point, if you own the S&P 500, a lot of that exposure is tied to the growing middle class and emerging markets. China is a big part of that story the you know, in relation with supply chains and the like here. It's a big story. And deflationary readings out of China can't be good for U.S. multinationals.
2: No, the story changed. We've been talking about it for a long time, but it used to be, and this is maybe, let's say six to 12 months ago, the story was, okay, when China finally reopens, it's gonna drive global growth, it's gonna bring everything back. And then we found out that didn't actually happen and that the consumer wasn't spending as much and there was maybe more growth concern. Over there than we thought. Now the story has become there's a big debt problem in China. They are trying to save the currency or trying to support the currency. It's not really working. And it's pretty obvious to the rest of the world that there's an issue going on. And Also, to Guy's point, yeah, you may not own China outright. You may not own companies in China, or you may not even own an emerging market ETF. But there are linkages everywhere. And I'll give just a couple examples. One of them, very anecdotal. As you all know, I was just in Wisconsin. And I have a family member who just had a concrete driveway poured. A big one, but a concrete driveway poured. And he was explaining to me, the price of concrete has gone up 300%. Over the last few years, because we got into an argument with China, we no longer get the mix from China, so now we have to get it from Michigan or Canada, and the cost is that much higher. So you may not have any investments, but if you're trying to get something done on your home, the materials are more expensive because of what's happening over there. You've also got something like the theory that the middle class in China or in emerging markets, period, growing so much as they get more affluent hang with me here, this is a ridiculous theory, but as they get more affluent, they eat more protein, okay? So that means that we have to create more protein, that drives fertilizer stocks. So you back into this every layer. I can almost guarantee you every single person is invested somehow in a China theme. It may be three layers deep, but it is going to affect you. And the last thing is semiconductors. You can't ever talk about semiconductors without thinking about China somehow.
1: So Guy, just another example that we're playing checkers and, and Liz over there is playing chess with the, with the pork protein <laughs> fertilizer <laughs> trade here. Um, I don't even know where to go with that. No, but th- th- listen, that makes sense. And, and the semi one is really interesting interesting because like lots of folks, it's going to be an election year and the Biden administration is going to like point to the IRA and and the CHIPs Act and a lot of this stuff. And a lot of folks will tell you that's great. Those are nice headlines, but we don't break ground on fabs here in the U.S. for years and we don't start rebuilding bridges and the like here for years. And so it'll be interesting to see. I think those are really fascinating to like think about. Oh, they just earmarked hundreds of billions of dollars for this, that or whatever to prioritize like onshoring jobs or whatever. But in the state of our immigration and the state some of anecdotally also, I was in Arlington, Virginia yesterday going to the container store as a parent does when they're moving in their kid to, to school and everything like that. I did made three trips there this weekend. But on a building that looked like maybe a quarter done, a big, maybe an office building or something like that, a residential building, there was a huge sign that said painters needed, okay? And then it also said it in Spanish. And when you think about that, I, I think this is, Guy, maybe the story of this economy where we are right now is that there's a lot of decent activity. It's supply- whether it be supplies or uh, of labor or supplies like you're talking about, that's where we are. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel for a resurgence of some sort of twofold guy. And I wanna get your take on this. I think we know where you are on inflation, but a resurgence in activity. We know that as Peter laid out on the pod on Friday, we've clearly been in a manufacturing recession. We've seen the post-pandemic shift from goods to services that like, but it could come back the other way. And so if we have some of these supply constraints, that's where you get inflation working again. And that's maybe the thing, the push and pull with this economy. Yeah, the Fed wants to get inflation down to 2% and they might change that. We might hear some intimations of that Friday at Jackson Hole. Who knows? But we also may see that lack of supply is the thing that weakens the economy at a point where we see the 16-month lag or so of higher rates and tighter monetary
0: policy. In terms of China, if you think what's going on over there, and if you look over history, when economies or civilizations find themselves in times of duress, a lot of times the answer for that duress or for that economic weakness is to find or engage in some sort of war, quite frankly. And that's littered throughout history, which is one of the reasons, you know, a lot of people think China won't do something with or in Taiwan because they're in a precarious position in terms of their economy. I think other people think that when pushed into a corner, that's the exact time that something will happen. I'm in that camp, number one. So, That's been a concern. The other thing, just in terms of economies and and reinflation, if you look up, and I'm sure a lot of people have, gasoline prices are raging right now. They're up significantly, I think, making 52-week highs as we speak. So there's going to be, I think, this reacceleration of inflation into the fall. And you mentioned the potential for the Jerome Powell and his crew out in Jackson Hole to sort of move the goalpost in terms of instead of 2%, we'd be okay with 25 maybe even 3%. Yes, there's a chance of that happening. My sense is the market would interpret that as their inability to get it down and their seeming lack of control with not being able to get it down to their target rate that they've been talking about now for the last almost two years. So, They might say that the initial reaction to the market might be bullish, but I think that people will come to realize that they're basically telling you that that genie's out of the bottle. And as much as they'd like it to be 2%, that ain't going to happen. So I don't necessarily think that would be long-term bullish for the US stock market. All
1: right, so my only question to you Liz and just a pushback to that comment is it also just an acknowledgement that rates are going to stay higher for longer. Now, I think it's a really interesting point, okay? CPI was 9% in June of 2022, okay? So now it's 3%. It's still on top of the year over year, 9%. So to Guy's point, inflation is not going down. It's obviously gone the other way from those really high readings, but it's still high, which is one of the reasons why if you think the Fed's about to cut anytime soon, unless it's in the reaction to some major sort of event, it's not happening because inflation, even at 3% or 2.5% is still really high, which is why Fed funds stays bid here.
2: Yeah. So unpopular opinion, first of all, is that I still think that there is a non-zero probability that the Fed does have to cut this year in reaction to some sort of event. If there is a credit event, I don't think they're going to have to do it because inflation comes down and the economy slowly weakens and we fall into this slower part in, in peaceful fashion. But I think that there still is a pretty good chance that we have some sort of event or some sort of headline. If the Fed left the target at two, I think that they could still send a message and say rates are higher for longer, you can leave the target at two and send that message by saying we're not at target yet, right? And that we're just going to hold steady. That still sends a higher for longer or pause, keep them high sort of message. They don't have to raise the target to send that message. I completely agree with Guy. I would add that if they change the target, it not only says we didn't solve this, it says we don't even have the tools to solve it. We're basically giving up and saying the stuff that we have used to control monetary policy, to control the capital that flows in the economy, didn't work the way that we thought it would. Somehow the economy is still blowing right through it. People are still spending and we're loading up on debt. It's not working, so we're going to raise the target because we think that's about as far as we can get. And I think that's the real problem. And again, it would probably be met with bullish sentiment in the near term because it would send a signal that they don't have to be as aggressive anymore. But then when people realize, if this is what happens, when people realize that that also means prices stay higher for longer. And to your point, Dan, they never came down. These are growth numbers. These are not absolute numbers. So if that number stays positive... We still spiked up and just plateaued at this higher level, still putting stress on everybody. And I think that's sort of a lost concept somewhere. We're so obsessed with the month over month and the year over year and forgetting the fact that last summer inflation was 9.1 percent and we're still growing. Right. It's still tough.
0: To Liz's point, it is amazing. People just don't seem to understand the components. It's linear in so much it went from nine to three. But then if you really understand what's going on, inflation continues to rise. And now, if you want to get into sort of the retail vernacular, the year over year comps for inflation, if you think about it through that lens, is that they're actually going to get easier, which again, I think, is going to lead to this reacceleration, which is going to be problematic. But if Elizabeth is right, if there is, let's say, a 15 or 20% chance, whatever it is, that they cut rates this year on the back of some event, I got to tell you something. That event's going to be pretty miserable to live through. And it's obviously going to have ramifications for the equity market until obviously they do what they're going to do. But Danny Moses talks about this all the time. The the Fed will always have bullets in their gun. They'll always have sort of ammunition to combat things. The problem is, at some point, market participants are starting to call bullshit. And the fact that our yields continue to go higher is suggestive of exactly that. People will buy our debt but you have to give them a higher yield in order to do that. And that is going to continue for the foreseeable future. So interesting,
1: Liz, that you thought non-zero chance that they don't cut rates this year, and you said credit event, which is really interesting because to what Guy just said, let's just say there is some sort of geopolitical issue. It could start as an economic blockade of Taiwan with China or something. That would be really inflationary. That was the lesson that we learned from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And if you think that nat gas to Europe or oil or wheat is an issue just wait until it's semiconductors that that that's targeted there and we look at the interconnectivity of like the supply chains in in the west and the like here and so i guess my point is to the tools in their toolbox if they lower rates that doesn't do anything like that no, doesn't it's a do- message, guy right no yeah. i know but what i'm saying is is like if the act of Isolating Taiwan and making supplies of semiconductors scarce, okay? Because we've already put advanced chip bans on China, you know what I mean, as it relates to our companies selling to them, lowering rates won't do a thing. It will almost exasperate inflation in a lot of ways. And so if we have scarcity, it's gonna cut down the flow and movement of people and the stuff like so. To me, to talk to me a little bit about that, because that's a tool that won't work and they're gonna have to get creative. Now, one thing, guy, I will tell you is that I think this Fed is getting incredibly increasingly creative in the tools within their toolbox.
2: I don't think they would lower rates specifically about an issue like that. It would have to be an issue like that occurred, and it caused financial markets to stop functioning as Like in March.
1: And so what they did Correct. was they got really easy.
2: Correct. Right. Yeah. And they created a loan program, right? Yeah. So that's to your point about creativity. There would probably be some sort of creative solution, but- It's really more about the message and the message that we have now trained market participants to receive, which is when the going gets tough, the Fed saves the day and they're going to have to continue to get creative to do that and to keep that up. Otherwise, if you just let it go, if they send a message where it's, you know what, we're not going to save it this time, the market is going to be left to its own devices. I think people would absolutely panic. Right. So there has to be some sort of intervention.
0: I agree with that. And quickly, in terms of the what, you know, you wonder what the credit event could be. Elizabeth's been gone in one of the most interesting week and a half in global bond markets as I've seen in quite some time. Just look, again, we talk about it. I get it gets, gets a little wonky, but Japanese yields continue to go higher. The weakness in the yen is something you absolutely have to watch. And that will start to feed on itself. The largest owner of United States treasuries, unfortunately, or for depending on your lens, are the Japanese. I think one of the reasons uh, our bond market continues to get whacked is because I think the Japanese are probably selling treasuries to try to support their currency unsuccessfully, by the way. And that continues. And again, China, what my point of all this is, somebody or some entity is going to blow up on the back of the move, again, that we are seeing in the yield market, you know, right before our very eyes, the re steepening of the yield curve here in the United States is taking place. Unfortunately, it's a bear steepening something we talk all the time. It's steepening because the 10 year yield continues to climb. And as we're sitting here now, it's probably either side of four and a quarter percent. A lot of people think this is a top. Maybe it is in terms of yields. Other people like Bill Ackman think yields are going significantly higher. I will tell you if yields do go significantly higher from here, It won't be for the right reasons, and the equity market's not going to like it. And probably, given the historical laziness of a lot of these entities, there will be a group or groups, just mark my words, that blow up on the back of this.
1: All right, guys. So it is Monday. We're getting close to the open. And we know that on Friday, we have this Fed Symposium. Fed Chair Powell is going to speak here. The S&P got to 4,600. The all-time high was 4,800 the first week of 2022, Liz. Here we are. We've had a nice nearly 5% pullback. It seems like run-of-the-mill sort of thing, which I think makes some sense there. Into earnings, expectations were high only because the stock market had ran into it, right? We know that, I think the facts that had, they were expecting, and this is Butter's work, Q2 a 7% year-over-year EPS decline. It came in at only 5% or so with all the companies that have reported here. We have the, the 200-day moving average at 41.30 or so. We had that August 2022 high that people were focused on that was 43.50 or so. 4,200 was that kind of consolidation before we broke out in May sort of thing. So how are we feeling about maybe I don't know, a 10% pullback, something from the 4,600 family, the S&P 500, maybe down to that rising 200-day moving average. Would that be the sort of thing that if we had between now and let's say some point in September, takes some froth out of this market, makes us feel a little bit better for those who are worried about some of those headwinds that we're talking about, higher rates, geopolitical issues, maybe just some of the leading indicators slowing. 10% from the highs gives you a new perspective a little bit.
2: I don't think that this has been a surprise pullback to anybody bulls or bears, right? And I'll make that really annoying reminder that in any given year on the S&P 500, there is typically a contraction from peak to trough of somewhere between 10 and 15%. I think the average is actually 13% or something like that. So a 10% pullback, especially on the heels of up 30% in the Nasdaq, up 15-16% in the S&P wouldn't be that bad. And I do think it would be healthy and I think it has been healthy to take the froth out. This pullback has been pretty orderly, which I think is also good for markets. But People haven't by, panicked.
1: But led by some of the biggest names. Yep. Yeah.
2: And so pretty orderly except yeah for some of the areas. And this is why I think there's a non-zero probability that there's some sort of credit event and that some people in the market are already stiffing it out. If you look at how the banks have traded in this pullback versus the rest of the market. So the S&P 500 over a one week or one month period down about three-ish percent, something like that. Banks over one week down 4.3 percent, down 6.4 percent over one month. What's the thing that gets hit the hardest in a credit event? Banks and they hadn't, they also hadn't participated in the rally, so it wasn't as if they had all this froth to blow out. So, pulling back that sharply in a correction that's been otherwise orderly sends a message to me, at least, that there are people out there expecting something to happen in credit and they're protecting their portfolio because of that. The thing that it's not sending yet, there hasn't been this really strong bid for staples and utilities. We've had a couple days here and there where the two of those have outperformed quite a bit, but it hasn't been a consistent bid for either of those. So that sends the message, okay, maybe there's some sort of credit crunch coming, but people aren't sold yet that it's going to reverberate across the entire market and take the whole thing down. If and when the yield curve continues to re-steepen and utilities and staples catch a bid, that's where you start to say something's going on, there's a big inflection.
0: To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. SoFi, the all-in-one super app for banking, borrowing, and investing. Earn industry-leading APY, get great loan rates, and trade stocks. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A., NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities LLC member FINRA SIPC.
1: opened up a little bit today for no good reason. I suspect they fail, especially if we have banks continue to be weak. And then let's say some of those mega cap tech names. Listen, there's two things. I I think you and I are in the same camp guy is that Wednesday after the close when NVIDIA reports, and I got to tell you people, it's like a $50 implied move in the options market. Okay. So just do the math, take the at the money weekly straddle. It's about 50 bucks. Okay. And then you divide that by the strike price, which is where the at the money is. It gets you like 10, 11 or or so this is a one trillion dollar market cap company so the options market okay is expecting nearly a hundred billion dollar move in either direction doesn't mean it's going to happen okay and we have fed chair Powell speaking so there's two massive events this week in my opinion guys so talk to me are you expecting fireworks this week
0: from nvidia absolutely either way you obviously i think everybody probably knows my stance i think the fireworks will be to the downside we could walk in here on thursday and this stock could be fifty dollars Higher from where it is right now, which would, I think, defy logic, but that's the type of market we've been in. In terms of Jackson Hole and what we're going to hear, I think, and again, I don't know anything, but I think for this meeting, you could hear a myriad of different voices talking about a myriad of different things, because I think what they're going to try to do is just throw out as many test balloons as they possibly can to see the reaction that the market will have. Because quite frankly, I think they're at this point where they could go either way. And I think they can make a cogent argument for going either way. It's just a question is really what is going to be the interpretation by the market and obviously the subsequent price movements on the back of it. But I don't think you're going to hear a single voice out of that meeting. I think you're going to hear a host of different voices with, quite frankly, a myriad of different messages.
1: Okay, Liz, putting your strategist hat on. So last thing before we get out of here. If we were to see the S&P, let's just say there is some downward volatility for the rest of this week. Let's say we get back to, let's say, 4,200 or so, which is basically, let's call it 150 S&P points on a 4,200. It's just a few percent away. It's not unlikely here. What are some areas that you want to like talk to our listeners about where you start picking in a way? And really, like from a dollar cost averaging sort of scenario, I think we all can agree that some of the stuff that got us here, There was a broadening out per se of the market away from some of the mega cap tech stocks. We know that the relative performance of the SMH, the semiconductors had been lagging over the last kind of month or two. What are some areas that you'd want to get some exposure to if we had a 10% pullback? Because again, I think we all can agree is that, and Guy mentions this all the time, is you can say it now, but then when we're down there, sometimes it feels a little different. And so curious at areas where you, in a panic, you'd feel like, okay, I could start dipping my toe back in the water in this sector.
2: So even. Pre-panic, as I mentioned before, some of the staples and utilities haven't really caught a bid. If I had to pick one of those, I would pick utes, and I think you can probably toe into those now. Because in a panic, if things work as planned, those should rally pretty well. If in a panic as well, bonds would rally, right? Treasuries would rally. Now, that doesn't look like it's happening in the last couple of weeks, but if the market works as it should, and that relationship has broken down over the last year and a half, if that relationship comes back into play, then you want to have exposure there as well. Where you can nibble that feels maybe a little counterintuitive. I know I just talked about banks trading poorly. They would trade even more poorly, especially if it were a credit event. But banks aren't the only industry group in the financial sector. And the sector is pretty attractively valued and has seen even a further pullback. So looking at things like diversified financials and dipping your toe in there. I still think healthcare, although it's been underwhelming and Unimpressive, but because of that, it means it's probably not that overvalued, right? And it's almost an ignored sector in times when things are so driven by interest rates and so driven by China or whatever the case may be. It has been kind of ignored. I think that's a place that you can look at too.
1: Guy, uh, you know where I'm going to go in a panic. I'm going to do my Q's and twos, okay? I'm going to be buying really what I mean the 20 or the TLT and, and buying the QQQ. There's a breakout level in the QQQ, it's 325, guy, from May. If it were to run round trip, the entire move. And again, that would be on the heels of NVIDIA. If NVIDIA were to guide down, this thing's going much lower. It's going back to that 330, 325 level. I don't mean in a straight line, but I mean over a period of time. They're going to take all the froth out of this AI trade out. And at that point, the QQQ, because we know those top seven or eight names, makes up okay, 50% of the weight of it. That's how you play this long-term secular shift because all of the companies, not just the ones that have been focused on, the Apple, the Google, the Microsoft, even the Tesla or something like that, Tesla's gone from 300 to 215 in a straight line over the last couple of weeks. Get that exposure. I think you do it without the, the idiosyncratic risk. What are some areas, Guy, I know you're going to probably say gold. What are some other areas you'd be looking to pick at?
0: I agree with you on that. I think energy It's going to surprise people. Again, if you look, OIH is hanging around this 340 level. Some of the individual names are starting to get on their horse once again. So I think energy is a space that I think is going to catch a bid, and it has caught a bid into the middle of the summer. I think that will continue in the fall. Healthcare, for sure. The individual names, the stories that we're seeing out of the likes of Eli Lilly, obviously Amgen's been a horse. I think those names can continue. So for me, it has been and will continue to be energy and healthcare. All right. That was good. We got Liz back. How about that? We got
1: Liz on Thursday on the market call. Really excited about that. So it's great having your sunny disposition back. I think a lot of our, we got a lot of, we got a lot of email, like where the hell's Liz? I mean, there was a little bit about that. We miss you. Yeah. All right, Guy Adami, thanks so much. We got a big day. Guy and I are going to do a podcast. A radio show and then a TV show. That would be CNBC's Fast Money. It's heavy next on, week, heavy on the voice I got to tell you, people, Liz is going to be in studio with Guy and me next Monday, Serious XM. Radio, Business Channel 132. Please call in. That number is 844-942-7866. That's Business Channel XMSR, Serious XMSR, Business Channel 132. Next Monday at noon, call in. Pick Liz's brain a little bit. You know what I mean? It's a great place
0: to be in Liz's brain, right, guy? You you and I, I are up know. there.
2: I don't know. I don't I'm know if it is all time the time.
0: time. All right. All right. No, and we'll even let Elizabeth pick the music, which what? is, I can't believe I'm just saying oh, that. But. no. It's going to be a lot of like pink guy and maybe yeah. some T Swizzle. You ready for a little, a little brandy tea Swizzle? A little brandy car- oh,
1: yeah. That'll be good. All right. Uh-huh. It's all Liz. It's all Liz next Monday. Check it out. All right, Liz, thanks so much for being back here.
0: Thank you for having me. Bye, everyone. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors CME Group, iConnections, set and SoFi.